Our Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a friend to sinners. We're grateful that you know all about our struggles. You came and became one with us. You became our elder brother. You took on human flesh in order that you may be a sympathetic high priest. We thank you that you know and that you will guide and do guide that you are not out of control, that you are not fretting, and that you know better than we how to guide. So thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being with us tonight. And we pray that you would guide in the preaching of the word that we might hear you speak to us and bring life. So do that, we pray. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me tonight to the Gospel of John again. And uh, we're in John 11 tonight, verses 43 and 44. I want to come back to John 11 on uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, This is where... He identifies himself as the resurrection and the life. Uh, but I want to go closer to the, uh, to the end of the story tonight. Uh, the part where he actually raises Lazarus from the grave. Um, and actually, let, let me start reading at the beginning of the paragraph, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. (laughs) It just struck me as funny how this is translated here. Well, I, I prefer the King James, I think. Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face bound with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Uh, this story is, is full of meaning, and it reminds us that God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Uh, I recall back in 1994, 
I had the opportunity, no, 98, 98, I had the opportunity to go uh, to Ukraine and do some preaching and a couple, teaching in a couple of Bible institutes there. And uh, while I was there, uh, a friend took us, took, uh, took me on a little field trip to a local catacombs. So this was uh, built in the 11th century. We've got nothing in America, you know, that goes back to the 11th century. But this, uh, these caves underground, they were built, uh, this, these catacombs uh, were originally built as a monastery for monks, for Catholic monks in the 11th century. Uh, it was called the, uh, the Kiev Pachersk Lavra. Uh, which means basically a monastery in the ground, in the, in the caves, a monastery in the caves in Kiev. <clears throat> and these, uh, uh, when the monks came up out of the ground and started building above the ground, they turned it into a, a, ca a place for burial, for the burial of uh, dead saints. And uh, you go there and you pay your tickets, uh, to take a tour, and it provides income for the, the monks and so forth, and the monks would guide you around, and, and there's just, you know, corpses in little uh, coffins. They're built into the wall, and uh, it's just dead people everywhere, and you, they give you a little candle to walk around with, and they say, hold it, you know, like this, so the, the wax doesn't drip on the ground, or especially not on the coffins. You know, it's, it's like a holy place, and you're walking around, and, and most, many are tourists like I was, but, but some were there, I mean, deeply distressed, and they're praying to these saints, and they're, it's, it just was very dark and oppressive. And I thought, what a, it just had the sense that this, the whole, it was orthodox then, it was uh, uh, Ukrainian orthodox, but it just felt like it was all about death. And this story reminds us that it's not all about death, it's all about life. For God's people, it's all of, He is the God of the living, not of the dead. And we don't, we don't go in desperation and sorrow and, and uh, fear to a, to a catacombs to uh, seek the help of dead people. We come to the living God. Well, this, uh, this story, these verses, teach us a lot about life and about death. I want to identify several lessons here, specifically in verse, in beginning in verse 44. It says, the man who had died came out. The first lesson that I want to draw our attention to tonight is that Lazarus resurrection, or what came before his resurrection, his death, reminds us of the wages of sin. He who had died came forth. You know, mo most, uh, much of what we experience was built into creation before the fall, back in Genesis, before Adam and Eve sinned against God, before uh, they experienced the curse uh, there were good things happening that we still experience the remnants of. They're twisted, they're broken, they're fallen, there's lots of weeds and all of that, but, but still, good, good things. Things like 
marriage between a man and a woman. Things like work. Things like creativity. Uh, things like um, sex. Things like communication. Things like worship. Lots of things that we get to experience existed before the fall, but death was not one of them. The wages of sin is death. Death came in with the fall. Death, death was not part of creation. It, it was a result of sin. So Paul writes in Romans 5.12, just as, though, uh, as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. In Genesis 2.17, God had warned Adam and Eve, in the day you eat from it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Uh, death, is not, is, death is not simply a natural part of life. That's what you hear in all the, you know, the, the hallmark kind of TV shows where the adult is trying to comfort the child when grandma dies, right? You, Death is just part of life. It's not just part of life, it's an enemy. It came in as an enemy, as the wages of sin. It's an unnatural, hideous add-on. Death, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, is, is the last enemy. It will be abolished in the end. But it is an effect of the fall, and it is the wages of sin. And so what death reminds us of and what death teaches us is that we are all sinners. That's why we all die. Even Lazarus who was a friend of Jesus. Back in, back in verse 3 of chapter 11, uh, uh, Lazarus' sister sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Here's Lazarus, loved by Jesus, a friend of Jesus. Jesus was a friend of his, and yet Lazarus still dies. And that proves to us the statement in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, it, and it proves... Our union with Adam, as human beings, our union with Adam, because Adam was cursed, all of his descendants also must die. For as through one man death came in, uh, sin came into the world, and death by sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We, we die because we're sinners, and we're die, we die because we are part of Adam's race. And even Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, dies because he's a sinner and he's part of Adam's race. And so you and I, because we are sinners and because we are Adam's race, will die. The wages of sin is death. And that means that there's something more that's needed than just being good. Lazarus was a good man. He was a there's something more that's needed than, than just having a, 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 a really even a positive attitude toward Jesus. We are sinners. And that means that we have, uh, the, the fact that we're all going to die means that 
that sin has to be dealt with. Something has to be done. Beyond being good, beyond being a churchgoer, a friend of Jesus, beyond being on the the right side of some issue, beyond being religious or being spiritual. None of that that is going to help us because we are all sinners. We are all born under the curse of God. Now, there is hope. Jesus says uh, in verse 26 of this same chapter, he said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now you say, but wait a minute. (laughs) I know lots of people who have lived and believe in Jesus who have died. So what's what's up with that? Well, yes, yes and no. Uh, Yes, they died physically, but not really. Death, remember, death is a separation. Death is a tearing of things apart. Death death physically is a separation of the body and soul, and it's not a clean separation. Uh, We we were not made to to be separated in that way. Think of trying to peel a stamp off of an envelope that's that's been licked and it's there pretty solid. What happens when you try to peel a stamp off an envelope? envelope? It's not a clean tear, is it? And that's, that's what death is like. The separation of the body, of the soul from the body, is not a clean tear. It wasn't meant to be that way. We weren't, we weren't created so that there could be an even break. That's why death is so hard. Uh, and so as there's that separation of the soul from the body, but death also means separation from God. That's the ultimate sense of death. Death is separation, in essence, and is separation of man from God. But Jesus is saying, when he says, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die, he's saying, first of all, that separation will never happen. The separation between God and man has been reconciled. For those who believe. And even the separation between body and soul, he begins to call sleep. That's why, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, his disciples like, we should go now because he's going to die. No, we'll wake him up. Why? Because his death, because of his relationship with Jesus, wouldn't even really be death. He who lives and believes in me shall never die. So even that death for believers, for those who are trusting in Jesus, is only a temporary separation of the soul from the body. A temporary one. Nevertheless, the fact that our bodies do decay and go into the ground, will go into the ground, does remind us and continues to remind us that we have an identification with Adam, that we are by nature sinners, though it's not the end of the story for believers. Um, and it all, there's another question that this brings to mind. If, if death is the result of sin, why does Jesus die? He was without sin, right? Right? 
Why, why does he die? And that's the, that's the whole point of the gospel, though. That's, that's what the good news is, that he died for the sin of others. That, and that he, on the cross, experienced both kinds of separation. Separation of the body and the soul, but also separation from, from God himself. He bore, the, he bore the death that Lazarus deserved. He bore the death that you and I deserve. He's punished in the fullest extent on the cross. Through the work of Christ there on the cross, God demonstrates to us that he is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He died so that we wouldn't have to. So that's the first observation that I just want to make, that Lazarus' death reminds us of the wages of sin and that we're sinners. The second thing this does, uh, Lazarus' resurrection points us, it points us to at least three other resurrections, three different kinds of resurrections. I want to talk about those for a moment. Lazarus' resurrection points us, first of all, to the resurrection of the sinner's soul when he believes in Jesus. We are, in our, by nature, we are spiritually dead. We are born dead, right? Uh, you were, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We are born dead. Spiritually speaking. And that's that separation from God. But Lazarus' resurrection reminds us and points us to the reality that inwardly we can be born again. Live born. In John's gospel, there are, uh, there are these seven major signs. Seven is purposeful. Seven is, is a number that reminds us of completeness, of sufficiency of what Christ has come to do. And, and there are these seven signs that Christ does, and all of them speak to us of, our, of an answer to a spiritual need. A spiritual need. So, for example, the first sign uh, is in John chapter 2, where Jesus turns the water to wine. But because, because of sin... We spend our day in misery. We spend our lives in, in hopelessness and in fear, in sin. But uh, when Jesus turns the water to wine, he reminds us that he is a source of joy. Because wine in the, in the Bible is a, is, an in, is a symbol of joy. It's wine that makes the face of man glad. And, and Jesus turning the water to wine reminds us that there is an answer to our misery. It points us to something as a sign points us to something. The second sign uh, in uh, John 4, Jesus heals this nobleman's son in order to show that he is a source of restoration to wholeness because sin has, has brought a, a disease of the soul upon us. From Isaiah 1 says, from the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in us. But Jesus heals in John 4 in order to point us to a restoration for our diseased souls. The third sign uh, teaches us that Jesus restores strength to us. 
The Bible says that without, as sinners we are without strength. But in John 5, Jesus restores strength to an old man at the pool of Bethesda. He's pointing us to something. He's pointing us to himself as the source of strength. Uh, the fourth sign that he gives is when he feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness because as, as sinners we are weary souls like Israelites wandering in the wilderness without sustenance. We need, we need life, we need water, we need food. And Jesus says when he, when he seats the people on the ground and feeds them miraculously, he says, I'll be, I'll be your food. He gives, a, he gives a fifth sign in John 6 when Jesus is, uh, is walking on the raging sea because the, as sinners, we're, we're sinking in that sea. We're sinking. We have, we, there's no foothold for us. And there's this raging sea that's, that's threatening to destroy us. And Jesus comes and, and he says, I'm Lord of the sea. I'll get you through safely. And then he gives a sixth sign. In John 9, when he restores the sight of the blind man, remember he spits on the ground and makes clay and puts it on the, the blind man's eyes and he sends him to the, the pool of Siloam uh, to be washed and to restore his sight because as sinners we are spiritually blind, groping in the darkness. And Jesus is saying, I'll, I'll restore your sight. I'll give you sight to see reality, to see me. And they're signs. And, and so here is the seventh and the most, it's the climactic sign. Because sinners are not only depressed and sick and powerless and hungry and blind, but like Lazarus, spiritually dead and separated from God. And Jesus, when he raises Lazarus, see, the resurrection of Lazarus isn't the thing. Lazarus is going to die again, right? Bless his heart. I mean, we, we, we're dreading the first time, and he gets to do it twice, at least. Uh, but, but that's not the thing. You know, it's not, it's, I don't want to be raised again only to die again. I don't want that. But it's a, it's a pointer to something greater, like all of these signs have been. It's a pointer to something greater, and that something greater is Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the bread for the hungry. He is the strength for the weary. He is, li he is the life for the dead. And so in grace, Jesus comes and comes to his own, and he says, remove the stone my friend shall live. These signs are saying that to us, that when we come to him, that he will, he will give us life inwardly that's, that we're born dead with. Dr. D.A. Carson says, the resurrection of Lazarus is an acted parable of the life-giving power of Jesus. And so here's Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, answering our ultimate need of spiritual death. So Jesus' resurrection points to a spiritual resurrection of the sinner. He, he can take, listen, there's not a person in this room that wasn't born spiritually dead. 
What that means is that you don't have the ability to respond to God as you should. Your heart is turned away from God from birth. Not a person in this room that that's not true of. But Jesus is saying, I'm the answer to that. Look how I raise Lazarus from the dead. I can raise you from the dead, inwardly, spiritually. Not only, not only does Lazarus' resurrection point to spiritual resurrection, Lazarus' resurrection points to bodily resurrection for those who will come to Jesus in faith. Jesus says in, in uh, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Now he's pointing beyond spiritual resurrection, inward resurrection, to future resurrection, the resurrection of the body, even though you die. See, if you, live and if you live and believe in me, you'll never die, but he who believes in me, even when you die, you will live. So spiritual resurrection, physical resurrection, bodily resurrection. That's, what, that's ultimately what we're looking forward to, aren't we? The second coming of Jesus and the putting of all things right we're, we're not made whole when we die and our souls go to heaven. Not entirely. Pray, I look forward to that day. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I really look forward to that day. But, but you understand the, the, the emphasis in the Bible, the emphasis in the New Testament, looks beyond that to a, to a still further day when the, when the trump sounds and Christ descends, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the, day, that's the day of ultimate redemption. That's the day we really look forward to. We're not, we're not really looking forward ultimately to, uh, to something before that, whether it's a rapture or something else, or, or to death and going to be with the Lord. We look forward to that, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that, that, is that the, body, the body and the soul that were made to be together are 100% redeemed, 100% restored, 100% glorified. Right now, the body is decaying, though inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That doesn't mean that the body doesn't matter. It just means that God works from the inside out. He's not finished till that last day. And then all creation is resurrected in glory. That's a day that we're really looking forward to. And the resurrection of Lazarus is just a sign, just a little sign, really, comparatively, that's pointing us forward to that day. And most importantly, Lazarus' resurrection is a sign pointing to our spiritual resurrection, to our bodily resurrection later, but also to this soon coming resurrection of Jesus himself. That's, that's, the, ultimate, that's the ultimate sense of what the resurrection of Lazarus is pointing to. Because, uh, and I say that because it is the resurrection of Lazarus himself that leads to the death of Jesus. 
This, this is the thing that triggers the, the final series of events that leads to his death. Look at verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So, so it is, it is um, Lazarus' death and resurrection. Pardon me, I have a hair here somewhere. You hate it, it gets stuck in the corner of your glasses and won't go away. Anyway, Lazarus' resurrection is... Uh, I am so sorry. It's going to really bother me. <laughs> I, I don't need water. I need a, okay, I think I got a little piece of fuzz there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, Lazarus, death, and resurrection is an anticipation of something that's coming very soon in the life of Jesus and is in fact the trigger for that event. And the fact that Lazarus doesn't stay in the grave, the disciples didn't get it yet, but was a pointer to the reality that he himself is not going to stay in the grave. And in fact, the only reason that Lazarus could be raised is because Jesus will be raised. In fact, I've talked about these three resurrections. The resurrection of the spiritual being, inwardly, that happens the moment we trust in Jesus. In fact, our trust in Jesus depends on that happening. The bodily resurrection that we look forward to and the resurrection of Christ are not really three separate resurrections. They're all part of the same thing. It is, it's Christ's resurrection. We, we can be resurrected inwardly and then later resurrected outwardly only because we're part of Jesus who is resurrected. It's our union with Christ that grants us the benefits of the life of Christ. Because we're the body of Christ, we will be raised as the head was raised. They're really all part of the same thing. And your inward re resurrection, your being born again, is only the first part of your second resurrection, the resurrection bodily. It's two parts of the same thing. And all are, uh, both of those are only because we belong to Christ who was raised. And so... All of that is, you see how it's just pointed to as, as a sign points to a destination by the resurrection of Lazarus. That's what we need. We are born dead. We're going we're gonna to die physically because we're sinners, because we belong to Adam. We're descended from Adam. The answer to that is in the resurrection. He who died came out. That's, that's glory. That's, that's everything. That's the gospel. He who died came out. Jesus, who died for sinners, came out so that you who die 
can come out also and will come out, will inevitably come out. I mean, let me make one more observation here. The resurrection of Lazarus also shows us how that happens. What happens in this story shows us how it is that we can be resurrected inwardly, later resurrected outwardly. How does it happen? Look at verse 43 again. Chapter 11, not chapter 12. (laughs) When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. How is it that Lazarus came out? Jesus called him. That answer is the same answer to the question, how is it that you come alive, come out of death inwardly? How is it that on the last day you will come out bodily? Because Jesus calls you. There, There is the word of Christ that gives life. It's the call of Christ. The word is the power. The word is the power that brings forth physical resurrection. In the end, John 5, 28, an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Why do they come forth? They hear his voice. Spiritually, the call to Lazarus is a picture to his calling forth our dead souls. John 10, 16 Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice. And they shall become one flock with one shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Christians are referred to as those who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the, only, the only way to get a dead sinner out of his spiritual tomb The only way in the end to get a dead body out of his physical tomb is for Jesus to call them. That's why the trump, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? Because Jesus will call them. And that's the way he calls us from death to life now. Lazarus, think of, think of Lazarus like when you're sleeping. You know, you're, you're, you're asleep and um, your mom or dad, kids, your mom or dad, or if you're beyond that, your alarm clock. Dad comes down the hall and says, Regina, wake up. Well, Why did Regina wake up? Because she heard the voice. She heard the call. And it it awakened her. That's why Lazarus came forth. Because he heard the call 
and was awakened. It was the Word itself that gives the life, do you see? It's the Word itself that, that comes with power that has an effect that brings forth the dead to life. It's, it's the call. And so it is the Word of Christ that brings forth dead souls to life. That, brothers and sisters, is why we preach. It's the only hope. Romans 10, verse 14. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? Not, not how shall they believe in him about whom they have not heard, it's how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless one be sent? That's preaching. Mysteriously. Miraculously. Amazingly. God uses the preaching of his word, the word of of Christ, God uses that to communicate life to the dead soul. It is through the preaching of Christ crucified for sinners and raised again. That's how He brings life. When the gospel is preached and Jesus says, come forth, and you will come forth if He's calling you, Dead sinners cannot be raised by movies. Dead sinners are not raised to life by psychological and emotional manipulation. Dead sinners are not brought to life by a series of steps that you're supposed to take. Dead sinners are not brought to life simply by seeing three crosses up on a hillside. Dead sinners are not brought to life by a beautiful sunrise, a moving ceremony, bumper stickers, techniques, force. The crusades did not work. Dead sinners are not even brought to life by testimonies without the gospel. Mormons have testimonies. Muslims have testimonies. Testimonies are good, but it's the gospel preached that brings life. Galatians 3, verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what must be heard is the gospel. We sang it earlier. That, may, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are separated from a holy God because of that sin. Born dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are subject to eternal condemnation. That we are justly condemned. We are born under the curse of God and sentenced justly to hell. That's the bad news. But God because of the great love with which He loved us. 
gave His only begotten Son. John 3.16 uses the word gave because that means gave up to death. Gave up as the sacrifice for sinners. God gave His only Son to pay the penalty, to bear the curse, to receive, to be the payment that we owe, the infinite, unpayable debt that we owe justly to God because we have robbed Him of His glory. We have stolen His good gifts. God gave His only Son on that cross where He bore the separation that we deserve, where He experienced physical death and spiritual death on that cross so that those He calls forth from the grave may really live. Do you know that if you turned from your sins to God and Jesus didn't die for your sins, it would be worthless. It would not save you. You would end up in hell all the same. Repentance does not save you. Jesus saves you. The cross paid for your sins. Now you must repent and believe in Him. But unless He died for your sins, all is lost. Your sins must be paid for. But the good news is, they were. And when there is preaching, and when, the, and when through the preacher, Jesus says, come to me and you will live. Trust in me and have life. And that message goes out. It might fall on deaf ears. Seed is scattered on hard ground sometimes and the birds of the air pluck it up. There is, a, there is a call that goes out to every person, but not every person hears it. But when it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit and God is directing that call to your heart, you will hear. And like Lazarus, you will come forth. You know, can you imagine Lazarus waking up when, the, when Jesus calls him and saying, I don't want to get up. You know, we, we call it irresistible grace, not because Jesus drags us kicking and screaming out of the tomb, but because when we hear his voice, we want to get up. And, and, we, and on that day, we don't get up with a bunch of grave clothes on. But like Jesus, you know, Jesus sort of rose through his grave clothes. So you will. Tonight, Jesus is calling. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, sinner, and I will give you life. Lazarus, come forth. Put your name there. He's calling. Whether that call is coming with the power of the Holy Spirit 
is known by whether you actually come, by whether you respond to that call. There are different responses. There were responses to Jesus, uh, to this sign here. There were, there were two different responses. In fact, if you, uh, if you look at verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, they believed in him. They saw and they believed. That's one response. That is, that is the response. <laughs> they responded because God enabled them to respond. God gave them life. It was an effectual call. But some of them, listen, they saw also, they heard Jesus prayer they saw what happened to Lazarus but it all fell on blind eyes and deaf ears they went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done and not as a witness to win the Pharisees they they went they went because they wanted to get Jesus in trouble they were not they were not friends So, so, I, so the question now is this. What's your response? You've heard about sin and death. You've heard about Jesus and his resurrection power. You've heard what he did, that he died for sinners, and that that death will apply to you if you will come to him. You've heard him call, come to me. Through the preaching of the word, come and live. Believe in Jesus and live. Turn from your sin. Turn from your selfishness. Turn from yourself. Turn from your turn, turn from this world. Turn to Christ and live forever. And, and you won't lose this world. You gain it. You won't lose your life. You'll save it. Come and live. How will you respond? Believe. Let's pray. Oh Lord, grant us to hear your voice. And I'm, I'm reminded now, even as I, as I pray, that the same call that gives life to the dead continues to give life to the living. And so grant all of us to respond and say, yes, to wake up, to hear, to come again and again and again, not as, not as uh, people, you know, Peter said, wash all of me, and Jesus said, you don't need all of you washed, you, you're already clean, but you just need your feet washed. Not all of us need a... a to come from dead to, to life. Some of us need to go from life to life. But all of us need life. And oh God, because this is your work, because the power is in the voice, not my voice, but the voice of Jesus through the preaching of the gospel, 
because that's where the power, we come to you now, Lord, and we say, we plead, give life to the dead. Give life to the dead. Come, Lord Jesus. Raise the dead. Call them forth even now in this prayer that they may live and never die. And when they die, rise again. Grant it, we pray. In your holy name, in your life-giving, resurrecting name, amen.